God said, I need somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course, he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Well, you know, um, we finally uh, got rid of Dr. Evil, Dr. Fauci. And Rand Paul said this. He said Fauci's resignation will not prevent a full-throated investigation into the origins of the pandemic. He will be asked to testify under oath regarding any discussions he participated in concerning the lab leak. And Greg Price wrote, The legacy of Dr. Fauci will forever be a grandparent dying alone in a hospital room while he does, while he d- does other photo shoot for a magazine cover. So, you know, the priorities were completely out of whack. He lied to the... Uh, president and the of the United States as well as the people of the United States in the name of profiteering he lied and covered up uh, his connections with gain of function research and the origins of this virus he lied about the efficacy of vaccines and he can't throw a baseball to save his life but other than that he's a really nice guy so it's that level of corruption in the medical industry that has caused us has caused CDC to hit the reset, but also it's caused us to lose faith in science. The same scientists, uh, well, not the same scientists, but the same political party, the Democrats, are pushing science in the name of climate and trying to transfer this into a social credit score system, a green energy, climate certificates, uh, things like that that are infecting the world's economy and deflating the economy, all uh, all while the government uh, is putting a lot of workers out of business, whether it's the Keystone Pipeline development or whether it's Dearborn, Michigan and their truck plant, in Ford, 
uh, whether it's, you know, it's these tax subsidies that are going and picking winners and losers. And at the same time that they're crushing the middle class, they're building up the IRS. And it's not just about that knee-jerk reaction of auditing the middle class and repressing or oppressing the middle class and pounding them into a submission. That is going on for sure. It's that power and control. But it goes beyond that. And where it goes is that they are pushing a new digital currency. And this new digital money is what the IRS investment is all about. And this digital money will allow the government to control your every whereabout, every movement, every expenditure. They already have access to your health records, your financial records. With the IRS upgrading their digital system and in, 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 in rolling out the digital currency, it'll almost at one point, it'll be banned to have paper currency or it'll be worthless. And what are we going to do about that? We have to think ahead. We have to think about a new constitution. As we talked about on this show for months now, this new digital currency is getting to be you know, a very important thing. Well, we have a few clips and we're going to get right to it because we also have a guest, Congressman French Hill from Arkansas, uh, who's going to be uh, on the show in the, at the bottom of the hour. So I want to get through a few of these things. Um, I, I also want to read off uh, just a couple of these things where um, Greta Thunberg, we haven't heard a lot about her, but she's pushing climate. And somebody wrote, Kyle Bass wrote, Greta, Sweden isn't the problem, it's China. You should go and camp with the Uyghurs and protest Chinese coal plants being built. And and the thing about that is, it's true. It's absolutely true that if, if the climate initiative people or the globalists, we can just call them globalists now, if the globalists were serious about their power grab and they were serious about the climate, and less serious about the power grab, I should say, they wouldn't be using climate the way they are. They would be cracking down on exports coming out of China and demanding that China improve their green energy initiatives, if they were serious. But what they're doing is there are charts, and these charts indicate annual CO2 emissions and the carbon dioxide CO2 emissions from the burning of fossil fuels for energy and cement uh, production, land use, change is not included. Okay, so they're looking at this chart, and China is like over $10 billion. The United States is under $5 billion, so less than half of what China is. Europe is even less than that. Their economy is smaller. But China... Since 1973, uh, has skyrocketed. They were once below us because their economy was so much smaller. 
And now they're more than double us in terms of carbon footprint output. Their carbon footprint is more than double. I think they're almost more than double that of the United States and Europe combined. They're getting to that point. Meanwhile, they have opened the borders because they want to start, like, what, an American Union? They want to start a European Union? They want to expand the European Union, threaten Russia, threaten BRICS. They want to start a whole new union. They want to open up the borders between Mexico and the United States and the United States and Canada because the globalists see that as a way to to move slave labor around. They just move people around like they're sheep. And that's what they're doing. They're just moving people around like herds of cattle. And we've heard these leaders say, the leader of uh, Morrison from Australia said, you know, we got to get these sheep into the barn, into the corral. We got to move these sheep around. It's like we're moving sheep. And he thought he was being funny, but truly he was, you know. And then, you know, when you say trust the science, but yet, like I say, I'm going to be in California next week. I can't go to the Griffith, Griffith Museum to check it out while I'm out there uh, because they have a vaccine. They have a vaccine ban. Like, you need a vaccine or you can't get in. So they have a vaccine restriction, a requirement. You have to be vaccinated to walk into the Griffith, which doesn't make any sense because every other place in the world, just about. So you wonder what the underlying going on is for that what is that are they collecting data are they tracking who's vaccinated are they coercing the last bastion of people that have not gotten the jab to get vaccinated like the family member that you know may may have not gotten vaccinated now has to get vaccinated just to walk in with his family to the griffith museum the observatory i should say Made famous in Rebel Without a Cause and some others, other other great movies, La La Land. Um, but you know, it's it's just that it's 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 an impossible, uh, it's impossible to get your head around some of the ridiculousness of this. Meanwhile, we got fentanyl, we got uh, all these new diseases coming through the open borders. Terrorists coming through the open borders, ex-cons from El Salvador and Honduras and Colombia, ex-drug cartel members coming through our open borders, sharing, sharing, um, sharing schools and resources and medical uh, resources with you and your family, sending their kids to the same schools your kids are going to. How's that going to improve their education? And we see education deteriorating as well. And then we see these whack-a-mole, whack-a-doodle teachers with their cisgender BS and their pronouns confusing the world. And this is all part of an agenda. This is all part of chaos and confusion. This is all part of demoralizing. This is also all part of losing that that base of territoriality, 
No longer are we going to be territorial. We don't own anything. Klaus Schwab said it. He said, you'll own nothing, you'll own nothing and be happy. All right, that was his famous quote. Klaus Schwab, basically, everything's going to be subscription-based, lease-based, whatever-based. And you got to look at that and you got to say, whoa, that's not cool. That's not right. You know, it used to be that we would defend our property. We would defend our land. We would defend our country. We would defend our flag. That's why the liberals hated it when Donald Trump would say, and one flag. And he would always talk about the flag. He'd hug the flag. He'd kiss the flag. Speaking of Donald Trump, he's in the news. Of course, he's demanding a uh, master of records to oversee the redactions and also return the items that were stolen from him. And now there's the question that Dershowitz is is playing around with regarding the Trump thing of uh, executive privilege. And Cash Patel has made it very, very clear that just by default, if if, if you are the president of the United States, just by looking at something and taking it out of a skiff, you've declassified it automatically by default. So we'll see how that's going, too. We'll see where that's going. But for the most part, this globalist agenda is a power grab by the the global elites, driven by corporate greed, corporate money, BlackRock being at the top, Vanguard being at the top, and then taking ownership of these corporations, these multinational corporations that benefit at the table of multinational corporation, uh, multinational um, trade agreements that mom and pop businesses don't have any privilege or, or access to. And they have unfair advantages to keep the middle class out. And I, I think that I think that the powers that be, like Klaus Schwab has bragged about the idea that he would finance and groom globalist leaders and leadership and then finance their campaigns, polish them up, get them ready for prime time and have them win these elections. Like in Canada, he he talked about getting young, vibrant leaders, good-looking, attractive people, and he got Justin Trudeau, if Justin Trudeau even fits those bills, but gets Justin Trudeau in his leader, one of his disciples, one of the World Economic Forum heroes, sort of like, you know, uh, any other leader, any other cult. But here's the thing. The victim of that growth and that power and that wealth is the middle class. And it's, it's, it's true. It's true in the, in the world. It's true with woke corporate, corporate corporations who choose Black Lives Matter over God-fearing Christian families. It's true where you have the upper echelon of powerful elite billionaires and millionaires they don't want the middle class to rise up and compete with them. And so they they become liberal. They support the globalist agenda. 
They support the power position that they're in. And the poor that are coming through in droves, their numbers are increasing because we have this open border and we're accepting the world's poor as if the middle class can afford another tax hike to pay for it. But the poor are coming through. So the poor are going to be a bigger class because the liberals know that how to win over the poor. They buy the poor. And who do they buy the poor from? They buy the poor and they use the middle class dollars subsidized by the rich elite. But the rich elite keep their power and the poor grow in numbers. And the Democrats win the elections based on those numbers. You get a protected upper class you get a growing lower class crushing the middle class which in a healthy society is supposed to be 60% of the population where the impoverished are 20 and the super wealthy are 20 and then you have the upper middle class the middle class and the lower middle class that's the five parts of the economy the classes and when you have a when you start to crush it that lower middle class becomes impoverished. They actually then help grow the lower class. And that upper middle class realizes the only way I'm going to get a promotion is if I say and do the right things for my bosses to adopt me into their core group. And then what's left is that 20% in the middle, the middle middle class. And that's the group that's getting crushed that's the group that shows up at Trump rallies. That's the group that work goes to work every single day trying to you know, pay for pay the bills and support their family. And you see how easy it is to look at that and see how quickly this change can come. And it's about having monopolies because the world's greatest monopoly right now is globalism. It's exactly the reason why it is that Vladimir Putin was so so threatened that he actually went to war with Ukraine because he saw the emergence, the rise, the, the power in the wake of COVID. He saw the what Klaus Schwab said. Klaus Schwab said, that after COVID, in the post-COVID world, he said that uh, the globalist movement really advanced. And what they were doing is exploiting the vaccine passport to make it a social credit score system. They did that. They did that, and they did a lot more. So, you know, when you when you think about it, They've exploited these regulatory things and they push people around like they're puppets. And I have an interesting clip, and I believe this to be true. Andrew Tate, uh, he gave this uh, interview. Let's take a listen to this interview by Andrew Tate. Let's take, uh, and you'll see. I I believe this is true. And he's a pretty smart dude, very successful. He has a, a little bit of a dirty mouth, but uh, here I did listen to this one. One minor little edgy word, but not a blatant curse word. We're in charge of the world. 
are not motivated by what most people think they're motivated by. I've had a lot of people who are semi-awake come to me and say, yeah, COVID, all this stuff, it's all about money, it's all about profit. And I, I sit there and say, okay, but I would actually feel a lot more comfortable with the world if it was as simple as money and profit. I think it's far more sinister than that. And I think it's truly about brutal power. They don't care about profit. They don't care about money. They print the money. This is not about money. This is about just putting their foot on 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 top of humanity and squashing it for nothing other than an ego trip. I really do believe it's about that. I believe they enjoyed things like vaccine passports simply to make us stay home so that when they don't stay home, it was a big joke. Ha ha ha. Look at them stuck in their house. I think they enjoyed it on that primal evil level. I think it's genuinely evil. I don't think it's anything to do with money. I think it's purely just power trip. If I don't know how deep and how dark we're going to go down this on this podcast, but even if you look at a lot of the disgusting things that are happening on islands around the world, I truly think that a lot of that is driven by the fact that not only is it disgusting and they're they sexual deviants, but it's also about the fact that look what we can do that other people are not allowed to do. It's power. It's they just want to feel important and special. And money is not enough anymore. Money, when you're born with money, money does not make you feel important and special. They need something else to satisfy their disgustingly large demonic egos. And if that means locking everyone in their house so they can't see their grandma, so be it. And I say this to people and they say, no, surely that's too simple an explanation that the people in charge of the world are just power tripping. No, it's not too simple an explanation. That's exactly what is happening. When you tell a full grown adult to wear a mask, go and walk and sit down in a restaurant, take it off, eat, stand up and put it back on to walk to go piss and then walk back, take it off and sit down and eat. That's pure power game. That's nothing to do with science, nothing to do with saving lives. That's just ha ha ha. Look what the peasants will do on command. That's all it is. What else could it possibly be? What else could it possibly be? Does anyone have the answer to that? What else could it possibly be? Well, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a means to, it's a conditioning and it's grooming. It's what they're doing with CRT in our schools. It's what they're doing with this cisgender BS in our schools, teaching, you know, teaching our children at three years old about, you know, uh, some confusing gender studies. I mean, it's absolute sex studies. I mean, it's ridiculous. But that's what they're doing. They're grooming. You'll own nothing and be happy. And, you know, the Internet, this all started, a lot of people want to blame video games, um, perhaps. But it all started with this social networking and these algorithms. And I think that there's a lot of science behind the algorithms that are conditioning the weak. And by the weak, I mean the liberals who are like sheep that believe everything that they're told and everything that they uh, see and hear, so long as it it paints a portrait of this weird utopia. It, it, it speaks little to personal responsibility and picking yourself up from your bootstraps and things like that, and more toward victimization. And it seems like it's in their DNA, but this really emerged from that. From all of that, um, you look at the timetables and you look at social, the emergence of social media and you look at then the exploitation of the globalists and how they've grown, uh, you know, and it, you need a global Internet 
And who was behind it, really, but someone like Bill Gates. And why is it that these people that are in the lead, lead whether it's Steve Jobs or, or Bill Gates or the head of Google or the head of YouTube, or they're, they're all radical left-wingers, socialists, communists, Marxists, running all of this stuff. And you got to look at that and you got to say, okay, there's a lot of science that goes into the conditioning and grooming and manipulation of the people. And only the strong seem to be refuting and bucking the system and objecting to it. And the strong tend to vote Republican. And they want to crush that. They want to censor it. They want to take you off YouTube, suspend your account over at Twitter, and throttle you over at Facebook because they're afraid. They're not just a, they're not afraid of the truth. They don't want the truth getting out. They don't want it. They don't want the dirty laundry to be out there because they have a one track. It's exactly what they've done with Trump with the Russian hoax, and then Adam Schiff buried all the evidence. And they kept it all secret. You couldn't say a word about anything. And then the Ukrainian hoax uh, and the impeachment hoax and all these different hoaxes. If you look at one common denominator, it was like a grand jury indictment where you can indict a ham sandwich. But the idea here was that you you had a one-sided argument. And they did that with even these spending bills, these spending bills where people don't even read the entire bill before they actually pass it. And then, you know, like Nancy Pelosi said with the Obamacare bill, you got to pass it before you know what's in it. Well, we have somebody on the show today, uh, Congressman French Hill from the 2nd District of Arkansas, and he's joining us because he's had enough of uh, this excessive spending in Washington and he has something to say about the spending bill. Welcome to the Scott Adams Show, French, uh, Mr. French Hill, Congressman French Scott, Hill. Scott, great to be with you. Thanks for having me this morning. All right. So uh, we can cue it up that way, and we can say, um, you know, is this uh, inflation reduction bill going to uh, be reducing the inflation, going to be lowering the inflation? Well, the bottom line is I call it the Inflation Production Act not the Inflation Reduction Act. And the reason is that now Joe Biden in the last 18 months has green-lighted almost $5 trillion in additional spending. And Democrats say that this Inflation Reduction Act will reduce uh, inflation. I think it's just an absolute uh, fraud to call it that. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to drive up costs for energy because it has constraints on fossil fuels and more subsidies for uh, rich people to buy electronic vehicles. It's going to drive up the price of prescription drugs because over a few years it proposes to cap 10 Medicare drugs, and that's going to price shift all those drug costs over to the three-quarters of most American families that have private insurance, and it's going to be a detriment to determining new drugs. So that's going to raise the cost of pharmaceuticals. You're going to hurt inflation by raising taxes on manufacturing. 49% of the taxes proposed in their book minimum tax of 15% uh, 
uh, undoes President Trump's incentives on taxation, and that's going to fall on small business and manufacturing companies. So I think it's going to produce more inflation, and not the least of which is the fact that we've got this $4 trillion that's unpaid for that's still jammed in the economy right now. Oh, if you look at the inflation and you compare it in, in a chart with the government spending— uh, they are very much parallel with each other. And, you know, the more you print cash and quantitative easing on steroids and liquidating money, uh, it's really hurting American families by devaluing our dollar by just sort of kicking the can down the road and spending more money. I, I actually thought, I think, I believe this to be the case, and maybe you could support. Maybe you could uh, actually address this question I have because it's really more of a question because I don't know the underlying pinnings of it. But what I would say is this: I think we're in an election year, and I think that you know you're starting to see a housing crisis in China. It's gonna it's gonna be a domino effect around the world. There's a major housing crisis there. We're seeing uh, mortgage rates go up here. We're seeing a housing crisis. Uh, it's where it's becoming more of a uh, buyer's market and it probably will be in 2023. But my concern is this, uh, where there was in the wake of COVID, there was this spike and then there was this um, situation where people were not getting evicted for not paying their rent. And then there was this foreclosure uh, situation going on in the housing market, and a lot of corporate investment uh, buying up of property like we've never seen before. And so, my concern is is that this particular spending bill is basically going to extend past the election of uh, the midterm election, twenty twenty two, where it's going to ease the pain until after the election so that they could keep as many seats as they possibly can by uh, avoiding the uh, optics of increasing uh, evictions, increasing foreclosures. Does this spending bill help alleviate or at least delay the pain uh, past the election? Well, I think all of Biden's spending bills do. You know, he and the American Rescue Plan you could get rental assistance without showing any harm from COVID-19. So you could just simply say, I'm a low moderate income person. I can't pay my rent. And you could get rental assistance. We have one of the biggest fraud investigations in the state of Arkansas's history right now underway due to the misuse and fraud connected with the rental assistance program. And the same is true for the mortgage assistance program. They just disconnected it completely from the pandemic or from harm caused by the pandemic, and it's just an open spigot. And there are a number of federal programs like that that, as you say, are just continuing to flow money out into the economy before the election. That's been the whole uh, strategy. And that's one of the things driving inflation. The other, you noted, which is so true, is the Fed was way behind by staying uh, too accommodative, printing money, to the point where they should have started retrenching that back in the fall of 2020. When we knew we were going to have the vaccine, people were going back to school and back to work. Yeah, and that's what concerns me the most is is that the, uh, the, the pain that we're going to be experiencing is just being delayed. 
And as the bubble, you know, as this becomes worse and worse, I mean, I think that we're, you know, what's your take on, you know, gas prices and inflation? I think that the lowering gas prices just now um, has actually had a positive impact on inflation by just a tiny number. But once winter rolls around and gas consumption goes up, also right now China has closed down and a lot of people aren't looking at China as China's closed economy, their lower productivity and uh, their gas consumption is driving the price of oil globally down. Um, and we can't, you know, Americans can't afford gas. So the, the demand is going down, but at some point the demand is going to have to go back up at some point, And we're going to start to see gas prices go back up and inflation will accompany that. Do you see inflation going up or down in the next 18 months? I see it being staying up, being stubborn, and I'll tell you why. First, a strong labor market, uh, prices for labor are going up, not down, even though your real wages, what you take home after inflation, are falling, mm -hmm. because uh, and they're falling about 3%. But inflation at 8% is still four times the Fed's target. And inflation expectations in surveys for next year are still estimated at 6%, three times the Fed's target. So the dollar is depreciating, and it's going to be stubborn. And I agree with your comments on energy. Look, I think it's more like this. And when prices nationwide hit over $5 the 4th of July week, what does that mean? Well, people stop driving. So demand did fall off in July. And to your point, China remains uh, closed as well, which reduces demand for energy. But I see more constraint on energy, first, by the Biden policies. It's just hypocrisy to say that he's for drilling and more oil and gas. Absolutely. Everything he does is absolutely opposed to that. So I see more constraint on supply. I see huge demand for gas this winter, which is going to drive up heating costs all over the United States because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the impact on Europe. And Europe is still not up at the storage level for natural gas that they should be. Our largest natural gas exporting facility in Texas is still closed. So we're not able to even export natural gas right now from Texas. So I see uh, stubborn inflation, both in compensation, energy, and in a lot of things that uh, we buy that are a result of what? Energy as an input, an input, plastic and anything that that fertilizer, Petro all yeah, that well, petroleum, yeah, um, which means food's going to stay high. That's right, Congressman. I have one final question, and then, uh, based on what we were talking about just there, um, what impact does speculators and speculation in the markets have on this? If you if you're a speculator, you're speculating on what you think the future is going to bring. With regard, if you're a speculator in the oil industry, for example, and you see that the Keystone Pipeline project has been shut down, you see these land agreements and these leases have not been renewed. You see that uh, refinery in Texas uh, being closed. Um, speculators are basically going to, you know, um, I think Jean-Pierre, the White House pre press secretary, is trying to blame the gas companies for um, profiteering off of uh, America's pain and suffering. But really, the speculators have to realize 
sort of like a, um, a NFL football player. They have 10 great years, and then they have to actually budget for the rest of their life if they don't have a second career. Uh, and the same thing is true with oil, the oil industry, is they're seeing the, the gloomy picture uh, way down the road, and they're, they're basing pricing based on what they expect the market to be a couple of years down the road, aren't they? They are. And look, some of these uh, offshore projects take 10 years to develop. So think about the risk of putting billions of dollars uh, into a development that takes 10 years to see a profit when you have an a administration that says, we don't want to use fossil fuels ever again, and we're going to figure out every way we can to stop it. I think that's naive. I think it's also hypocritical in this time of trouble with uh, energy. And we need to go back to being energy independent. We need to go back to being the largest exporter. We need to go back to being the largest producer because we need fossil fuels to drive this country's economic performance for decades ahead. And when you switch, try to switch revolutionarily like AOC or Ed Markey of Massachusetts would want, you bankrupt not only American industry and make us non-competitive compared to the world, but you bankrupt the third world, which is highly dependent on fossil fuel energy for every aspect of their economies. And this is the kind of elite East Coast uh, approach that I think is hurting our country and really hurting the world with their attitude. They've got to recognize that this long transition is evolutionary, not revolutionary. Right. And uh, that's so true. I want to thank uh, Congressman French Hill. He is representing the 2nd District of Arkansas. And is there any um, web address you would like to give out to our audience where they could read up you more bet. about what you're doing? Yeah, Scott, if uh, people want to stay in touch with me, you can sign up for my newsletter and reach out to me at hill.house.gov and anxious to hear from uh, friends around the country. So not the house on the hill, but hill on the house. (laughs) Amen. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, thank you, and uh, stay safe out there, and we'll see you next time on the radio. All the best, Scott. All right. Take care. All right. So that was Congressman French Hill. Um, I have a lot of other things I want to chit-chat about with uh, the audience here today. Um, I want to take a listen to another politician that's becoming a rock star. I've been getting emails every day from Ron DeSantis. They have a uh, an election in Florida right now, um, but he's running unopposed, so he doesn't have anything to worry about uh, in terms of a Republic, Republican primary. But let's take a listen to uh, Ron DeSantis. Uh, it's a great clip. If you think about Biden, honestly, it's sad when you're watching some of this stuff. I mean, I just think back to, to some of the other presidents we have. You know, think about like John Kennedy. You think, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. You think about President Reagan, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. When I, when I think of Biden, I think of him staring like a deer in the headlights at the teleprompter. <laughs> End of quote. Repeat the line. <laughs> That's so true. You know, it's not leadership that we have in the White House, it's, but it's leadership we have in a lot of areas of Congress. We are making some dividends. Look, Fauci, he said earlier in the uh, he said earlier this year that uh, 
uh, he was going to stay for another two years. All of a sudden, that changed. I think his uh, neg- negatives were just going through the roof. And uh, so um, let's take a listen to one other thing about globalism before we get to Dr. Fauci. I want to listen. I want you to listen to this particular. Um, well, did Joe Biden sign the death warrant? But this this actually doesn't sound like on its face that it has anything to do with globalism, but it does. It has to do with what the underpinnings of the digital currency system. It has to do with a lot of other issues that are going to pave the way for power and control of the government over the people. And I'm not talking about the rich elite. I'm talking about the middle class because the poor in this country... They don't care about whether the government controls them or not. All they want is a handout. But it's the middle class that wants their liberty, freedom, and equal justice. And that's not too much to ask. We have a born, God-given right for that, and it's being taken away from us every every step of the way. And it's snake-like behavior like this particular executive order 14067 that scares the heck out of me. And it's, of course, it comes in the form of an executive order. And the question is, did Joe Biden sign the death warrant of American freedom on March 9th, 2022 by signing executive order? Write this down if you want. Executive order 140677. Take a listen. There's an urgent situation unfolding in America, and today I'll unveil all the unnerving details. So let's get started with a critical question. Where were you on March 9th, 2022, when President Biden signed the death warrant on American freedom? On that day, in a hushed ceremony at the White House, without the approval of Congress, the states, or the American people, Biden signed into law Executive Order 14067. Buried in his order are a few paragraphs titled Section 4, the language in Section 4 makes Order 14067 the most treacherous act by a sitting president in the history of our republic. Because Section 4 sets the stage for legal government surveillance of all U.S. citizens, total control over your bank accounts and purchases, and the ability to silence all dissenting voices for good. In this new war on freedom, the Dems aren't coming for your guns. No, they're thinking much bigger than that. They're coming for your money. And it's already started. Hi, my name is Jim Rickards. I'm a former advisor to the Pentagon, the White House, Congress, the CIA, and the Department of Defense. I'm also an attorney, investment banker, and author of seven books on currencies and international economics. When places like Fox, CNBC, or Bloomberg want to know what's about to shake up the global economy, they call me. Most of all, like you, I'm a proud American patriot. The disturbing predictions you're about to see are based on my independent research and my contacts in the intelligence community. I've never made this kind of public announcement before, but it's my duty to pull the alarm. This is what I believe Section 4 of Biden's order means for all Americans. The U.S. dollar will be made obsolete. Soon your cash will be confiscated or will simply be worthless paper. The cash currency we have now will be replaced with a new programmable digital token. But the truth is, few outside the deep state recognize Biden's move for what it really is. If my predictions are correct, this is so much more sinister than simply replacing the cash dollar with a new digitized version. Friend, this new currency will allow for total control of all American citizens. 
because every digital dollar will be programmed by the government. That means they will be able to turn on or turn off your money at will. Not only that, but they'll be able to track and record every purchase you make. This is... Wow. Yep. So that's uh, scary. And that's why you have this new IRS expenditure. Uh, I wanted to take a listen to uh, Tucker's comments on Dr. Fauci. We're going to go get to that really quick because we're running out of time. We've been running over on a couple of things, but let's take a listen. He's sitting masked at Brian Stelter's house watching Chris Hayes tonight because this morning Tony Fauci announced his abdication. Quote, I will be leaving these positions. There was always more than one. I'll be leaving these positions in December of this year to pursue my next chapter of my career, he said. The next chapter of his career? He's only 81. Some of us had hoped he'd be around another 40 years. But he's leaving so soon, too soon. Why? What's going on here? You hate to think politics could affect Tony Fauci's judgment as a scientist. They never have before. But is it possible this thoroughly nonpartisan man of medicine has thought about what might happen in November when the Republican Congress takes over? Does he believe that could be bad news for him? Well, yes, it is possible he believes that. Because on some level, even Tony Fauci knows that Tony Fauci is, in fact, a dangerous fraud. A man who has done things that in most countries, at most times in history, would be understood perfectly clearly to be very serious crimes. So it's possible that Tony Fauci might want to resign before he has to explain all of that to a new Congress. He might want to get out of town now and move to, say, Cambridge. Find a safe place to hide before the reckoning. Just a thought. Because honestly, there's a lot to answer for. In just the last two years, Fauci has recommended treatments and preventative measures for COVID that not only didn't work, but that he knew didn't work. He admitted to the New York Times that he lied about herd immunity in order to sell more vaccines, which also didn't work, which weren't even actually vaccines, but that did hurt a lot of people, tens of thousands. Then he lied about masks publicly. You should wear one as you're riding a bike. You're getting too much life-enhancing oxygen. What you really need is more carbon dioxide. Be more like a tree. That's what he was saying in public. But in private, he wrote that, quote, the typical mask you buy at a drugstore is not really effective at keeping out a virus. Oh, so he knew as your kids were suffocating during gym wearing a mask, Tony Fauci knew they didn't work. And then there's this, maybe his most notable crime. He didn't simply downplay and obfuscate the origin of the pandemic, apparently in conjunction with the Chinese government. No, Tony Fauci covered up evidence that he, Tony Fauci, helped create that virus in the first place. Here's Tony Fauci last July testifying under oath before the Congress. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain-of-function. So what was, let me take, finish. You take an animal virus and you increase its transmissibility to humans. Right. You're saying that's not gain of function? Yeah, that is correct. And, and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about, quite frankly. 
oh, Dr. Fauci meets an actual doctor who's not a BS artist who asks simple questions and demands straightforward answers. Tony Fauci was lying in that clip. He knew he was lying. As The Intercept of all places recently reported, quote, Scientists working under a 2014 NIH grant to the EcoHealth Alliance to study bat coronaviruses combined the genetic material from a parent coronavirus known as WIV1 with other viruses. Oh, they were manufacturing more powerful viruses. Tony Fauci oversaw that. Then The Intercept spoke to several virologists and found that, quote, seven said that the work appears to meet NIH's criteria for gain-of-function research. Okay. Gain-of-function research. That was going on. Not allowed in this country, so they were offshoring it in their various labs, including one owned by the Chinese government. A lot of bio labs in Ukraine. What was going on there? Oh, shut up. Don't ask. You're working for Putin. Really? Well, at some point, somebody is going to ignore the threats and just go ahead and ask the question. Why do we have all these bio labs in Ukraine of all places? It's not like Ukraine is a hotbed of pharmaceutical research. What is that? We don't know, but at some point people are going to find out. Now, The Intercept spoke to a virologist called Vincent Ranciniello. He's a professor of microbiology and immunology at Columbia. Quote, there is no question, he said, from the weight loss of the mice in the study, it's gain of function. Tony Fauci is wrong saying it's not, end quote. And of course, to Fauci would have known that he was, quote, wrong. In other words, he was lying when he said it wasn't gain of function. It was. This is all becoming much clearer. The Interceptors, in case you haven't heard of it, is not a right-wing publication. It's a left-wing publication. So at some point, all of this is going to become public, and it seems to be accelerating. No wonder Fauci's leaving. Then, late last year, NIH just admitted it. In a letter to the House Oversight Committee, an NIH official called Lawrence Tabak wrote that a, quote, limited experiment had been conducted in Wuhan in order to test if, quote, spike proteins from naturally occurring bat viruses, coronaviruses circulating in China, were capable of binding to the human ACE2 receptor in a mouse model. Frankenstein stuff. Why the hell were they doing this? Oh, and they destroyed the United States in the process. No one's apologized. No one's been charged. No one's ever really admitted it. But we know that Tony Fauci knew perfectly well this was going on because he's the one who authorized the grants. And as the pandemic spread around the world, virologists frantically told Tony Fauci in real time that gain-of-function research funded in part by the U.S. government was probably involved. In early 2020, Kristen Anderson, a virologist at the Scripps Institute in La Jolla, California, wrote this to Fauci, quote, Some of the features potentially look engineered. David Baltimore, meanwhile, announced he had found the, quote, smoking gun for the origin of the virus, what he called a powerful challenge to the idea of a natural origin for SARS-2. Tony Fauci saw that assessment also right at the very beginning. So in response, Fauci called an urgent meeting and told his deputies to read up on gain-of-function research, a paper authored by a scientist conducting bat experiments in Wuhan at the Chinese military lab there. So he knew at the very beginning, and a lot of people knew, and they all lied to us, and they're still lying to us, and not one person has been held accountable. But in public, Fauci refused to talk about gain-of-function research. Instead, he called for the arrest of his most prominent critics, because he's not a Stalinist midget or anything. Watch this. Senator Cruz told the Attorney General you should be prosecuted. Yeah. <laughs> I have to laugh at that. <laughs> I should be prosecuted. What happened on January 6th, Senator? 
oh, I should be right. No, a sitting U.S. senator should be prosecuted for asking questions that I don't care to answer because they would reveal criminal behavior. And by the way, January 6th, because Ted Cruz was inside the Capitol setting things on fire. Oh, no, he wasn't. So that was one of many very obvious displays of hard-edged partisanship from a guy who's supposed to be a public health official. Just flat-out partisan. When Tony Fauci is willing to attack his critics, his political opponents like that, and then lie about the origins of corona, it raises a lot of questions. And one of them is, what else is Tony Fauci lying about? We should know. You might remember that back in 2020, Tony Fauci declared that remdesivir, a drug made by the pharma giant Gilead, would be the solution to COVID. Do you remember this? He said, and we're quoting, this will be the standard of care. Now, when Tony Fauci says that, the guy in charge of our COVID response is not a small thing. But when Tony Fauci said that, he said that knowing that the Food and Drug Administration did not hold a single advisory meeting on that drug, remdesivir. But for the low price of just $48,000 a dose, Fauci promised that remdesivir could shorten your hospital stay if you were ever to get COVID, like if your mask slipped for a second. So after months, the truth became impossible to hide, as it has with the vaccine. Remdesivir doesn't work as advertised. Even the WHO is now recommending against it. Quote, there is a conditional recommendation against the use of remdesivir, says the World Health Organization. This means that there is not enough evidence to support its use. Oh, really? But what happened in the meantime? Well, Tony Fauci's friends at Gilead, which have been a struggling company, according to some, made a ton of money. They all did. So did Tony Fauci's friends at Pfizer and Moderna, as Fauci made the rounds talking up the only solution to the crisis that he helped create, which was, of course. And then they want to call it um, royalties, not kickbacks. They want to call it royalties. And uh, <laughs> we're going to continue with this uh, in tomorrow's show uh, because we got to get to the bottom of this resignation or, you know, and it's fairly rapid departure Fauci leaving in December much different than what was scheduled and predicted earlier we 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 are living in a government that's become a banana republic and we're seeing all signs whether it's the uh Jeffrey Epstein uh murder in his cell and you know all these things are right out of a movie and the people behind it are the globalists Anyway, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out our new sponsor, Tactical Civics. TacticalCivics.com. Check them out. They, uh, you may have heard some of their ads on our radio. Um, and uh, also, be sure to check out Magapack.org. Also, use Red State over at MyPillow.com. We'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody.